0: Hey there, welcome to the Pretty Little Tribe podcast, a space to talk about all things life, fertility, parenthood, and everything in between. My name is Elizabeth. I am an international fertility coach, ICF certified life coach, birth and bereavement doula, and new parent educator. Join us as we support the tribe throughout their journey from conception to bringing your new baby home and everything along the way. See you in the episode. Welcome back to the Pretty Little Tribe. I am so honored today and curious to have this conversation with Ariel Taylor. She is a fertility therapist, which, as you all know, mental health, especially around fertility, is so near and dear to my heart. And she has been a gestational surrogate four times and is just starting her fifth now. So welcome. Thank you for being here. Hi. (laughs) I mean, my goodness. Okay, so which came first? Being a surrogate or being a therapist?
1: So being a surrogate definitely came first. Um, my fertility journey um, is a little bit uh all over the place because fertility therapy didn't really happen for me until about two years ago, um, kind of when the pandemic hit and everything switched to virtual. Um, but I was a surrogate first. I started when I was, oh gosh, I don't even know how old I would have been, but 2016. Okay. It was when I started my first surrogacy. and since 2016, I've had um, three little boys for two different families. I had one miscarriage for a family kind of in between those ones. and I'm matched and getting ready to start my fifth and final surrogacy. I'll be caring for a close friend of mine. She had cancer at age 25 and completely lost her ability to carry her own baby. Um, so I'll be doing that for her and, you know, fertility therapy kind of came after I had done all the fertility treatments after I had kind of understood a little bit more that went into this process. And then when I went back to school, it seemed very natural to just go into fertility mental health because it was something I already was so immersed in, in my personal life.
0: Awesome. Okay. So you, you weren't previously a therapist and then changed to fertility focused, you, Went back to school, did this after your own experience to be like, oh, this is this is kind of heavy, right? For and people need some help on that. That's amazing. Yeah. That's similar to my path with that as well. Um, <clears throat> so how many kids did you have on your own before you? Were, you said you were twenty six when you did your first surrogate
1: yeah about 26. I'm trying to think back how old I was in 2016 and yeah it's about about I think I was 25 or 26. So I only have one daughter um, and I had her right before I started surrogacy so she was born in 2015. And I started surrogacy very shortly after she was born. Um, I think I signed up with an agency about six months after she was born. Now, that is not really what I would recommend. Other people do. I think people should wait much longer after having a baby, especially their own baby. Um, I wish I would have spent a little bit more time and kind of enjoyed some of that, especially because now knowing she's my only one, um, biologically anyways, right? So um, yeah, I guess I kind of just... um, I, after I had her, I knew that I wanted to be pregnant again. She was kind of our one and done though. So I wasn't planning on having more
0: into becoming a mom for yourself that you guys just wanted one.
1: Yeah, I think, I mean, you know, I, I always pictured myself with lots of kids and then I had one and decided that that was that was it for me. I was uh, a one and done for sure. Now I have stepkids now. So my family is very much complete, even though biologically, I haven't given birth to all of those kids. Right. Um, But I feel like our family is so complete. I have two stepdaughters um, and our, our little dog. And I feel like our family is just so complete the way it is. And I think everything really just played out and happened exactly how it was supposed to be for our family, you know?
0: Yeah, I agree, and it, the reason I ask is because I always had this knowing about three. So, and I think I I had that knowing. I realized the other day it came after number one. So there is, I think, for some people that happens, right? Like you said, I knew after I had her that our family was complete. I knew after I had number one that it was going to be three. And people always ask me, was it? you know, boys or girls or whatever, of course I would have loved to have a girl as well, but it really was about just having three for each other um, and kind of figuring out what it was gonna take in order to get there. So I love that you had this knowing and yet went on to to know also that you could be pregnant again or wanted to be pregnant again. And were did, were you in a situation where you had an awareness around surrogacy? Because most people don't say, I wanna be pregnant again, Oh, I, I know. I can just go and do it for somebody else. <laughs> I know what I'll do. Yeah. So, I mean,
1: I would say I, I knew very little going into it. I'm kind of the first to admit that when I first started my surrogacy story or journey, like, I really didn't know that much about it. I knew the basics. And I... I knew of surrogacy, honestly, from a high school parenting class. And I had a teacher that talked very, very briefly. I'm talking like they said, and some people use a surrogate and some people might use a sperm donor. And that was kind of the the gist of my experience with that. I didn't know anybody who had been a surrogate um, at at that point. I really just kind of started looking into it. I loved being pregnant. I had a really good pregnancy pregnancy. Um, But I just did not want to have any more kids for myself. So it kind of seemed like that natural progression. It's part of the reason that I started my Instagram page and started documenting more because I didn't do a lot of research because I don't think I knew where to look, what type of research I was supposed to do. Now looking back, I'm like, oh my gosh, I should have known so many things before I just decided to be a surrogate, um, you know. But I think now I educate so many people about the best practices, and you know, if you want to be a surrogate, here's the way to do that, or here's the avenues to make that happen, here are the requirements, you know, or for intended parents, it's here's why you might need a surrogate. Here's different steps to do that. Here's what to look for in a surrogate. Here's what not to look for in a surrogate, you know? So kind of using that as a way to build my own advocacy and educational platform, uh, I think really my own experience really shaped the type of information I want to be able to put out there for other people to learn.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And it's such, I feel like it's growing and maybe... I don't know if you agree or disagree, but more and more with people having issues with fertility, surrogacy is becoming more of a an option versus before. It used to be, um, you know, only people with X amount of money or whatever would be able to have a surrogate, and now it's it is becoming more readily available to the masses. Now, from my opinion, not as much as it really should be. But still, there are grants, there are loans, there are things specific to surrogacy that you can find and look into. But from that first initial, your baby's six months old, you're just in the throes of like being a new mom, which everybody knows is not the easiest, Mm -hmm. Um, no matter how good of a baby you have, it's definitely a, a culture shock, so to speak. Yeah. And then you go into, you contact an agency to say, hey, I would, like you just Googled surrogate surrogacy agencies and say I would like to be able to (laughs) so that is what I did um I think now for people
1: who want to be a surrogate there's a lot of information gathering I think it's good to look at multiple agencies get a a very much non-biased opinion um you know for example like I don't work for an agency I don't recruit surrogates I don't recruit recruit, um, intended parents. I don't work for any fertility clinics or agencies. So my opinions are very non-biased, right. And they're going to be in the best interest of the
0: parents and that surrogate and that baby. Right. So, so first one you did with an agency and now you just do them outside of an agent, like you just do it on your own kind of thing. Yeah. So my current match is an independent match. We actually met on Instagram. Um, And I think
1: that's another misconception too. A lot of people don't realize that they can match independently or they think that matching independently means that that's code word for like doing things that aren't totally like legal and that's a huge misconception because independent surrogacy just means that you're not using an agency as that middle person, right? Or you're not using an agency to help find or facilitate your match. You're just doing that on your own. But the requirements stay the same. You still use a fertility clinic, you're still seeing a fertility doctor. Everything's the same, um just a slightly different
0: process, you know? Is there a limit of how many times you can be a surrogate? I mean, you're going into your fifth one. Is there, is there limitations to that? Like there are for egg and sperm donors?
1: Yeah. So limitations around surrogacy more about the number of births that are safe to have. So in my case, I've done so many surrogacies because I only had one child. Whereas sometimes if people already have three or four children of their own, well, they might still be able to be a surrogate, but they might only be able to do it one or two times as long as everything goes okay. Um, Typically the guidelines say no more than five previous births. So a surrogate could potentially be approved for up to a sixth delivery. Um, Typically, the rules also say no more than three previous C-sections. So for me, I've had three previous C-sections. So this is my last pregnancy because it will be my fourth C-section.
0: Okay. And speaking of that, for people that don't understand how that works can you explain why you would already know that you would have a C-section? And it differs for a lot of people. In my case, it I had placenta previa for some people, or actually my first one was because I had a previous um, myomectomy, a uterine surgery. So mm-hmm. it was um, not as strong as I would have wanted it to be. But can you explain why you would know that already for people who might be curious? Yeah.
1: So, I mean, in most cases, if you've had as many C-sections, it, you mostly just go for another C-section. Now I'm a huge V back advocate. I actually did have a V back. My daughter was a planned C-section because she was breached. My first surrogate delivery was a very successful V back. My second surrogacy delivery was a planned V back, and I got all the way to seven centimeters with no epidural and everything was great. And then um, well, when they broke my water, I think. I think they nicked my cervix because I found out later in medical records that there was a laceration on my cervix, which caused bleeding. Well, in my delivery, they saw blood and thought that I ruptured. So they rushed me for a Uh C-section. Reading the medical records afterwards, I did not rupture, but because there was bleeding in a way that, you know, that happened, they kind of took me for a C-section. And then my most recent delivery, which was last April, um, April of 2021. That one was actually a planned VBAC as well. And I went into labor, you know, everything was okay. And then it was very, very bad luck and bad timing that I ended up getting an infection, unrelated really, um, but that it had kind of like traveled uh, to the placenta, which we found out. And it was just very bad timing that I spiked a fever the day I went into labor. And of course, in oh, wow. COVID times, When you go into the hospital with a fever and, you know, baby's heart rate might be a little elevated. So there were some concerns about, well, we don't know if something's wrong. So for everybody's safety, we decided to just go in for the C-section. So my birth history has kind of been all over the place. I've had lots of different types of birth, um, you know, but I think I'm kind of of the mindset, like if I happen to just go into labor and have a baby, like, well, okay, that's what we're going to do. Um, But, you know, if we get up to a certain point and, You know, they're, they're saying, okay, we need to do this. Then I'm okay with that too. And either way I'm, I, I really want to document. I'm hoping that I can be able to take pictures and videos even in my next C-section if I have one, because I think a lot of people are afraid of them and I've done a
0: couple of them and they don't
1: have to be as scary as people think, you know?
0: Yeah, I think they're, they're different for everyone. And for anyone who's listening, who doesn't know what a VBAC is, that is a vaginal birth after C-sections. And a lot of times it depends on the doctor specifically, if they're comfortable with doing that or not. So always. Check with your doctor if that's something you're interested in and ask, because as Ariel just mentioned, most doctors kind of assume that if you had a a C-section previously, you would go on to have another. That's not the case. You can check with your doctor if if you do want to have a vaginal birth after C-section, which is a VBAC. So okay. Um, And to your point, not all C-sections are scary and bad. They they do have some ease to them in different ways. so it helps to get lots of information around that, it's just so you know what what you're going into with mine. My only reference was my sister who was like, oh, my God, it's amazing. I get to know when I'm having my baby and it's like a so easy, easy peasy, whatever. And for me, it was not easy. It was yeah, <laughs> you know, it was complete opposite. So going into my second one, I had full on PTSD because I was so afraid of what was going to be happening, you know, so uh also know that that's real that is very (laughs) real and you know it's if you're feeling that way talk to somebody about it talk to a therapist a coach or whoever to work through that because that anxiety of going into a birth is pretty scary whether that's vaginal birth or um c-section whatever it may be so speaking of let's jump into the therapy and what do you who do you see most what's what who's coming to you what what's the conversation that's you know leading most conversations that you have with them just so that people can get an idea of what that even means I tell people all the time please please find somebody that you can relate to that gets you sees you hears you all of those things and there's nothing that prepares you for a fertility journey it's not like hearing about somebody who got a divorce or buying a new house or whatever it may be. It's it's a very unique experience. So what's the most common thread that you see with people um, in your coaching, I mean, in your therapy business?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, I'm very specialized. So while of course I'm a trained therapist and we deal with all the normal stuff like anxiety and depression and mental health issues and self-care and, you know, family dynamics and couples counseling, there's all of those things. But the thing that makes fertility counseling unique is that the knowledge base that comes with going through IVF and doing the treatments and understanding what it is like for people going through a surrogate pregnancy or a parent who is having a surrogate carry their baby or having a, an egg donor or sperm donor to grow their family. So a lot of times I see people that are you know, in the middle of their fertility journeys, or are, are, you know, just receiving an infertility diagnosis, they're not really sure what to think of it. And it causes them to feel some of these other symptoms, right? So maybe anxiety and depression get a little bit worse while they're navigating that, right? I mean, anyone who's gone through fertility treatments knows that it is very all consuming, right? You're at the clinic every couple of days, sometimes your entire life revolves around your period and cycle monitoring. So you know, it, it is, It's all encompassing and frankly exhausting. And I think I see a lot of people when they just have reached a point where they're like, I don't know how I can keep doing this. I don't know how I can keep going on with failed transfers and miscarriages and stuff. So, you know, I see people throughout their fertility journeys Um, You know, I see people all the way through pregnancies and deliveries, people that have, um, you know, anxiety and depression during pregnancy. I see a lot of um, postpartum depression is another one that I treat and postpartum anxiety, people who go through birth trauma, um, infant loss and miscarriages. So I'm very specialized in that area of kind of all things, fertility, pregnancy, birth, All of that, you know, like what you were saying before about, um, you know, preparing for a C-section, even dealing with birth trauma or people that are really scared to go into a birth and and that, that education around here's what you can expect, here's what you can advocate for. I think really, you know, having a therapist that is trained more on the fertility side just allows you to feel more connected to somebody. And everybody knows that therapy is most beneficial when you can have a positive therapeutic relationship with that therapist, right? So, I mean, the people that are finding me are typically people that have already seen my Instagram or have heard me speak and they're like, yes, okay, that's someone I would have a good fit with. So, you know, I've had a lot of success. I've been open for almost a year now. Um, and I have a, you know, a full client load. Um, and it's been, it's been really nice, this feels like the wrong word to say to, you know, but it's, it's been rewarding. I think to be able to see the progress. And I think that's the thing about this, right? Is that you're basically walking this journey with somebody. And sometimes in counseling, you're venting about all this horrible stuff that's going on. And sometimes you're bawling your eyeballs out. And other times you are overjoyed because you finally got a positive test or your surrogate is finally pregnant or you finally reached a milestone, you know? So it's like having a little person in your pocket that when you need it and you need support, you can just pick up the phone. And because I offer everything virtually, I'm accessible all the time from anywhere.
0: Yeah. I think that's, that's really what's key in this journey is because it is, it is so unique. Like I mentioned before, having that person that can understand the ups and downs and what it means to to do the egg retrievals and, you know fertilization and didn't it make it to blast did it not it's it's just such a unique experience and to have somebody to hold your hand through that process is really priceless and that's why i always say find that person that you relate to right it doesn't yeah. matter if it's me if it's ariel if it's susie q whatever who do you align with who do you want to be on your fertility team going forward on this journey because it, it really does make all the difference when you feel supported in something, no matter what that is really. Um, yeah. And having you, having gone to choose therapy as a, a career path, obviously understood the value of that. How did you come to that? Like, how did you decide, okay, I'm gonna go back to school. This yeah. is where I wanna land with that.
1: So I think I'm one of those people that will probably always be in school. I think I'm just a perpetual student. Um, I did my first degree right out of high school. I graduated back in like 2013 and my first degree, um, you know, had, had a big focus on like childhood developmental theories kind of stuff. And then uh, I did a lot of my studies on thanatology and death and dying studies and then grief and traumatic loss. And I got really close to getting a minor, but I didn't end up actually getting the minor in that. Um, so I did a lot of that training. And I think like a lot of people that go to university right out of high school, they just don't use their degree. So I did not use my degree because there wasn't really much to do with it. Um, and then, you know, a, a few years ago, I really just decided I, I wanted to kind of do something different with my life. I wanted to have a career. Um, fertility therapy wasn't even on my radar at this point, um, but about four years ago, I started kind of my back to school journey and I went back for social work. So my my second degree is up in, in social work. And, um, you know, I've kind of always been drawn to that. Originally, I really wanted to work with kids. I wanted to work in family court or with um, like child protection, things like that is kind of where I was heading. So that was my thought, kind of my first year of the social work program. I was like, oh, I'll work with kids and do all that. Well, then halfway through the year COVID happened. And I finished my entire degree online, I had to do all of my placements online, I had to, you know, learn to do counseling on a virtual platform, which until that point was not done, because it wasn't confidential enough. The only people that were being reached virtually were people in high crisis situations that wouldn't be available to go into an office, you know, Mm -hmm. Mm
0: -hmm. but I
1: very quickly realized that the idea of doing things virtually opened up a whole lot of doors for a lot of different populations. Yeah. And at the same time that I was going through all this, I was pregnant with my last surrogate baby. Mm-hmm. So, I had started documenting on Instagram. I had an early post go very viral and that really blew up my social media. And so, while I'm kind of trying to figure out what what kind of work am I going to get into? Where do I want to find a job next year when I graduate, right? everything started taking off. And then I really, you know, I started realizing that, wow, I can tailor a lot of my education to fertility studies, which is generally something I'm drawn to anyway. So a lot of my, um, you know, a lot of my reports or my uh, essays and all of my work was around fertility. I did a big research paper on donor conception, um, you know, and I did a, um, you know, for a policy class wrote um, like amendments to the Assisted Human Reproduction Act and advocating for more inclusive laws and decriminalization of paid surrogacy in Canada. And, you know, so I used my education as a way to kind of enhance a lot of the work I was doing in the fertility world. And then, you know, really, the idea of opening up my own business in the middle of a pandemic as a mom, a working mom that went back to school at like 28 years old or something, you know, it was, it was a little bit strange to be like, okay, is this actually going to happen? And even now, sometimes I'm like, oh my God, I'm a business owner. I'm a grown up. I own my own business. Like, wow, this is amazing. Yeah. That's (laughs) awesome. I I am proud of it. I I really am. And you know, I'm, I'm proud of what I've done. I'm proud of the people I've been able to to help and connect with. And I just know that I'm making some sort of difference here, you know?
0: Yeah, it really, that's what I say to people that join the academy It's like, it's, it's, you're showing up in a way of healing other people on their path. And it's such a beautiful experience. As you mentioned, like getting the positive pregnancy tests or seeing this ultrasound pictures from people or whatever it may be, just, there's nothing like, that joy that you share with somebody on the path. And I can imagine that is like expanded so much more if you're a surrogate, like I don't even know um, how, how much joy and love and whatever comes from that, because what bigger gift could you give to somebody than to say, I'm carrying this, I'm I'm making this human for you. And I'm going to hand it back to you at the end. I mean, that is amazing. So God bless for you to be able to do that over and over again to show up for people in that way. I think it's amazing. Do you know if the the laws in the United States are similar to that in Canada, as far as the psychological evaluation for everybody involved in order to go into surrogacy?
1: Yeah, so they are relatively similar. So, psychological evaluations are something I actually do in my practice. So, that is something that I do provide uh, to fertility clinics on occasion. Um, The laws between Canada and the US are similar, but they could definitely be improved. So, even though I'm Canadian, I really follow and advocate for the American Society of Reproductive Medicine guidelines. I think those are the most best practice. That's what the U.S. follows. Surrogacy in, in Canada can be a little bit more lax. It does depend on your clinic and your doctor. And, but, the, you know, the, it's, it's kind of well known that the Canadian requirements are a little looser than the States. Um, some stuff stays the same, right? So uh, having a psychological evaluation is a requirement. There's no way around that difference might be that in the state, some states require like a background check or a home study, whereas we don't really have that here, although I don't necessarily think it would be a bad idea either. Um, You know there's different requirements around uh, around health and BMI, and you know we're a little bit looser in the restrictions here. But I really try to follow the American Society of Reproductive Medicine every time I'm talking about stats and, you know, on my Instagram or on my social media, I think it's really important to talk about best practices just because something is done doesn't mean that it is the safest for the baby or the carrier. And so I think, you know, having a large platform. like, Can you give us an example
0: of that, Ariel?
1: Yeah. So for example, I mean, surrogates that have six, seven, eight births not super safe as a carrier, um, as an individual to make that choice, totally fine. You want to have eight kids of your own a hundred percent, but surrogacy is about minimizing risk, right? Mm-hmm. And these are parents that are coming to this likely from trauma, right? Cause a lot of them have gone through their own fertility journey. And I think it's about what is the least amount of risk, right? It's the reason that this will be my last pregnancy because it's not safe for me to keep having C-sections, right? But um, but you said earlier that,
0: they, they do regulate that, right? Yes. Yeah. Okay.
1: Now it's, it's not a hard and fast rule though, in Canada, a hundred percent, not every clinic has and follows those same guidelines. Okay. Um, but I believe that they're best practices and that's what I follow. And that's what I educate on and advocate for.
0: Okay. And then can you tell everyone listening a little bit about the psychological evaluation and why that's so important. I know um, when I was nineteen, my oldest sister she also had cancer and was um, had to have a radical hysterectomy at that time. So my first thought was, "I'll have a baby for you." You know, that like we got you, don't worry. Um, but at that time, there's we have four sisters, so three of us all kind of said the same. None of us had children, so that was not an option. Um, and that's just a very basic thing, right? Yes. As far as um, you know and that makes complete sense i get that but what are some of the other reasons and questions that someone might hear in a evaluate a psych evaluation for surrogacy
1: yeah so I to- for that matter for sure. So two most important things in surrogacy are your legal contracts and your psychological evaluation. So for psychological evaluations, a lot of times what I do is like a psychosocial assessment. That's something that social workers um, you know, are, are taught to do. And what that looks at is kind of your entire picture. It's not just about your medical history. It's your support system. It's do you have a history of, of all kinds of, of things that could make this process more difficult? Do you have a supportive partner? Do you have children with very, very high needs that if you had to be in the hospital for six months on bed rest, would they be okay, right? Do you have family that live nearby? What's, what's your you know, situation like? What's your work like? It's you know Are there spiritual or cultural considerations that go into your choice for this? Does somebody understand all the risks? Do they know that there's an increased risk of bleeding or losing your uterus after having an IVF pregnancy, right? Because that risk does increase. There are risks with the high dosages of estrogen you have to take. And there have been studies that have linked that to some illnesses or a small increased risk. Um, You know, so it's about, do you understand what you're getting yourself into? Because I think, like you mentioned earlier, a lot of people will be like, oh, I'll carry a baby for you. Okay but they might not necessarily understand that there's a lot that goes into that. Right. And there's a lot of reasons why someone could be disqualified. And it doesn't mean that they wouldn't be a great pregnant person or they aren't able to carry their own children, but it's about minimizing the risk, right? So a risk that you would take to carry your own pregnancy is going to be different than a risk someone else is going to take, especially when it costs over a hundred thousand dollars, right. For the entire process. Right. Um, so psychological evaluations are, are, you know, a, a really good way to find out, are you prepared? Do you have support? Are there considerations that go into this, right? Do you have a history, like a mental health history or an addictions history or, you know, domestic violence? Like these are all the things that go into this, right? So, you know, very, very, very important to have a psychological evaluation. Um, it should never, ever be skipped under any circumstances for any reason. Um, I, I really strongly advocate that those are done every single time, no matter. What I don't, I here it's not an option, it has to be done. It, the only reason it wouldn't be is if someone decided to do things on their own and not use a fertility clinic, and you how know, that you do that. Well, there are ways I don't ever recommend them, and I don't think I mean, that... <laughs> I guess there's a at home like. <laughs> and some people do do at home insemination. Yeah. I think the lines get very blurry. I think with surrogacy, most surrogacy is gestational surrogacy. You are not carrying your own genetic material right. as a surrogate, right? Yes, Especially yeah. with how common these treatments are becoming. It's no longer necessary like it was 30 years ago that if you were using a quote unquote surrogate, they were also going to be the egg donor because we didn't have the technology to do what we do now. You know, right. when I carry my friend's baby in a few months, it's their baby. They made it right. right? Their egg and sperm, their embryos. She just can't put it into her uterus. Right. So, so it's just going to go into mine instead, you know? Yeah. Um, but I think there's, there's a lot of misconceptions, right. About what exactly it means to be a surrogate. And I think doing things with a clinic with a legal contract, with everything in place is the safest and best practice to do any of
0: that. I absolutely a thousand percent agree. Do not be doing this at home in your bathroom with, uh, you know, for fun, hoping that it works. Well, and
1: this is, I, this is part of the reason I think that in some cases, surrogacy can get a kind of a bad reputation because we hear this one-off story, you know, some news story about somebody who had a surrogacy agreement, but then you find out that it wasn't actually surrogacy, you know, that that's more of an adoption, planned adoption kind of situation. And it's these, these stories that are so exaggerated that sometimes get popular, right? And then people are like, oh, surrogacy is so weird and gross and, and all these things about it. And they don't realize that there is thousands and thousands and thousands of legitimate, safe, like consensual between all the people, you know, like that are consenting to do this agreement. It's not coercion. I am not being coerced to be a surrogate, Um, you know, it's just there's so many misconceptions. And and I think it's part of the reason I document so much. Right. And that a lot of other people are starting to do that, too, because I think people deserve to see a real, true and honest look at the way tons and tons of people become a family.
0: Yeah, and it's incredible. It blows my mind. I think it is so amazing that it's even an option. I I love that it is. I love that it is becoming more available to people. And again, if you feel like you are somebody that would qualify to be either a surrogate, a gestational carrier, or require a surrogate, there are so many resources out there. There are so many places and agencies that break down the cost yes it's not cheap but you can see how much goes to the carrier how much goes to legal fees how much goes to the um the clinic etc etc so do your homework a little bit and and start to dig into that because i think that even with doing ivf and iui and all those things people don't understand what goes into it to your point right they think like oh, it's, it's not a big deal. I just go and I do this. Well, there's a lot of injections that come into play. Your body needs to be, you know, your lining needs to be ready to take on an embryo. There's so many intricacies that need to happen in order for that to happen, let alone, yeah. again, on the psychological side and or all the other things. So, but it is possible. And I think to that point, we also start to see people using it for the wrong reasons. Like I spoke to somebody who's stopped me last weekend who I didn't really know that well, but she knows what I do and whatever. And she was like, yeah, I I, deciding I'm going to, um, Freeze my eggs, and I'm gonna hire a surrogate because I just I just don't feel like gaining the weight and and going through that on my own. And I was like, oh dear. <laughs> like, well, in a lot of in a lot of um
1: places, you actually can't do that. Like that's, that's another misconception, <laughs> right? I mean, in yeah. most places, you can't just have a surrogate because right. you want to. You have to have a reason to a medical reason.
0: It. Yeah, right. So. I think the the idea that because it's coming becoming more popular, people feel like, oh, I'll just pay someone to do it. And it's not that easy. No. Clinics won't approve it. There has to be a medical reason for it to happen. Um, so keeping that in mind too. This is not about, you know, I, I don't I want to fit in my clothes and have a baby at the end of it. That's probably not the case for you to go down that road. Um, but there are so many beautiful cases that this is happening for and i'm so elated to say that there are speaking of is your partner involved are on board with this how is your husband with all of this i mean that's a lot to to have now this will be your sixth pregnancy total yeah yep yeah yeah. So
1: Brandon and I have been together for uh, just over four years now. Um, We've been engaged for about a year and a half of that. So we're not married yet, but we are hoping to be soon. Um, But he's kind of been around for the last... Oh my gosh, he's been around for the last three deliveries. The only delivery he wasn't there for was my daughter.
0: Okay. Okay. So,
1: you know, he's been around, he's seen all of it and he's so supportive, you know, Brandon has three of his own kids and then I have mine. So, you know, we're definitely done having kids. He had a vasectomy before we even met. So that was a very <laughs> Take much care a of that decision there. Um, but it's been this really unique perspective where we get to experience pregnancy and birth and things that we don't wouldn't normally get the chance to do and you know he came into my life when my daughter was just over one you know so or one and a half so we've experienced a lot of these child rearing or kid stuff together and now we have that opportunity to kind of share that pregnancy together which is kind of like a like a unique thing that we've gotten to do together and he's just like he's my partner in everything you know like like we just do everything together. And the fact that he's been so supportive and this is a family affair, right? It's we're doing surrogacy together because he's okay. giving me needles, right? He's running to Wendy's in the middle of the night because baked potatoes were like the only thing I wanted to eat last pregnancy. Like, you know, like the, there's all of these things. And, and, you know, the nights when I'm like, I, I don't think I can do another injection. I am black and blue. I don't know how I'm going to do this, you know, or, you know, things can go wrong in pregnancies. Things don't always go how we hope. He was there for my C-sections. Like he's just been really, really great at making this a whole family thing because surrogacy is our whole life, right? I mean, even after I'm done being a surrogate, surrogacy is still such a big part of our life and what what I help people do, right? So I want to be able to to have that be something we can do together and it's just it's been such a good experience for us really and the kids too the kids all very much know what's happening and they know the intended parents we still stay in contact with all the intended parents i think that's another thing that people assume that you just hand it over and like never see them again um that doesn't happen i mean it does but i mean it's it's not usually something that's like all of a sudden right i mean most people want to have that open arrangement now Um, so my kids still get to see all, all the kids that I've had, um, you know, and they're, they're almost five, three and a half and 14 months. So, you know, it's just kind of cool to show them firsthand, like, here's all these different ways people can become a family, right? I've carried for a heterosexual couple. I carried for two dads. My, my kids are going to know that any way that your family comes to you is legitimate. And that it doesn't matter if you have a medical condition that prevents you from carrying a pregnancy that you still have options and you can still do this, you know, and, and who knows statistically, one of my kids could very well need a surrogate or need some sort of infertility treatments. Right. So I think making them educated about family planning at an age appropriate way, but also like their own bodies. And as they get older, you know, my My younger girls are only seven and eight right now, but as they get older, like understanding cycles and your fertility and all of these things are things that are not taught to teenagers, right? They are not taught in sex ed. And it's, you know, if, if we're, if, if sex education is only focusing on the getting pregnant part, we are missing a massive part of sexual education because not everybody gets pregnant that way.
0: Yeah, that's why I was so impressed that it was even mentioned in your high school. <laughs> you know about briefly
1: once. <laughs> At least it, the words
0: came out. That's, that's more than I can say for when I was in school. Yeah. Um. So that's great. But yeah, to your point too, and I just want to clarify this because we kind of skipped over it a little bit when I, we were saying about doing it on your own or having a an egg donor also be the carrier. And and oftentimes with same sex marriages, that is the case. They will often find a donor, an egg donor who will also carry. So there's a lot of different ins and outs and ups and downs and all the things. So there are a lot of different avenues to that. So I just wanna make that clear that it's not always somebody else's embryo you know, complete that goes into a gestational carrier, etc. cetera. So do your research. There's a lot of, a lot of amazing ways that you can become a parent, whether that's this way or adoption or egg and sperm donation, all kinds of things, which again, every time I talk about it, I get so excited because it blows my mind that it, we live in a time that this is available to us, yeah. um, which is so beautiful. So how can people
1: find you, Ariel? Yeah, so I'm on social media, so like Instagram, Facebook, and newly TikTok. Um, so I'm carried with love, carry.with.love. Um, And then my website is carriedwithlove.com for all of my counseling um, and the work I do there. And then, you know, I document my whole journey on Instagram. Um, sometimes I make a very funny reel. So it's definitely worth a watch uh, to get kind of just an inside look at what this is like, right. The the type of people that
0: need surrogates and what it's going to be like when she finally gets to be a mom, you know, cause it's coming. And is it ever difficult for you to carry this baby for 10 months and then hand it over? Has it never been a problem for you? It has never
1: been a problem for me at all. I think that's another one, right? Where people are like, yeah. oh, it's so hard to give the baby, get yeah. baby away a lot of times. Well, you're not giving a baby away. You're just giving their their baby back to back them. To um, and I had zero desire to have another baby. Zero. Yeah. yeah. Zero. I am done with my family planning. I have cross that bridge, you know? So the idea of having another newborn is something that is not fun for me. So being able to be like, here's your baby, go have a great time. I'm going to go get a margarita and go sleep all night long. Um, yeah. You know, and that's kind of <laughs> celebratory, right? Because as right. a surrogate, that's what you're there for. That's yeah. the whole reason you're doing this, you know? Yeah. And when I, when I had my first, when I delivered my first surrogate baby, um his parents were in the room they cut the cord they did they did all that stuff and I have a video of her holding him for the first time and like there's nothing that that gets better than that okay like you just watch someone I just watch someone right before my eyes become a mom and hold her son and she would have never been able to do that if it wasn't for somebody like me because she could not anatomically carry her own
0: baby right you know I think it's amazing and incredible on so many levels. So again, thank you for showing up and bringing little ones to the world that you're able to, to gift to other people, I think is so cool. Thanks for being here. And I look forward to our paths crossing again. Me too. Thanks, Elizabeth. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Pretty Little Tribe podcast. Follow up on Instagram at the pretty little tribe or at Elizabeth King underscore coaching for updates, resources, and a community to connect with. If you are looking for extra support and tools to guide you along your TTC and parenting journey, visit elizabethking.com. Don't forget to rate and review the podcast everywhere you're listening for a chance to receive a special gift. Visit elizabethking.com backslash pretty little tribe podcasts for more information on how to enter any review counts. I just appreciate your honest feedback so I can provide you with the best support possible in your TTC and parenthood journey. Thank you so much for listening and we'll see you next week.